The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Last Sunday night on ESPN, the network aired parts one and two of the 10-part series, The Last Dance, which chronicles the final season of the Chicago Bulls dynasty that won six championships in eight seasons. This week on the Mike Wise Show, our guest is a close friend of Phil Jackson, who coached the Bulls to all six NBA titles and five more with the Lakers. And he's ready to check in. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? That's right, Darlene. Uh, I'm really excited about this week. Uh, look, we've had we've had an unbelievable three weeks, i got to admit. Mark Cuban, shoot, Jamal Crawford, uh, last week Roger Mason Jr., and this week we go old school. I mean, really old school. Charlie Rosen is an author and former basketball coach who was Phil Jackson's assistant with the old CBA's Albany Patroons from 1983 to 86. Their relationship started in the mid-1970s when they collaborated on a book together for the first time. Charlie, on his own, has written 16 books, including many on the sport of basketball. Hello, Charlie. Hey, uh, 25 books, actually. 25? Yeah. This is, this is why I tell my crack shot researchers to stop looking at Wikipedia. This is yeah. it's nine <laughs> books behind the times. Um, what? Just curious. What was your last? It's called Truth, Lies, and Basketball. It's a novel about, uh, and it's all based on fact about all the crooked, illegal things that are done in college ball and in the NBA. It It is fiction, but uh, everything in the book uh, happened, including a major uh, D1 basketball program bringing in, recruiting a player uh, who was a heroin addict and supplying his dope. And, and nobody sued you? <laughs> Well, I didn't use the. I changed the names to protect the guilty. To protect the guilty, right? And uh, um, people who I know you and I've known you for shoot, I gotta say, twenty five, thirty years. Because even when I was covering the Knicks back in the nineties for the New York Times, you were kind of my. You were the. You were the Phil whisperer. You know, we everybody would go, "Hey, what's going on with Phil?" And people would call Charlie Rosen because you know they go back to Woodstock and you know all these days and and. Um, and, and you would have all these incredible, uh, you know, you would sort of say, you know, well, Phil's thinking about this. Phil said, and most of the time you're always right. I, everybody know, every, I know all this, but um, I, I think that people that are listening to the podcast for either the first time or the 64th time, and they don't know who Charlie Rosen is, I'm going to let you know right away. People Tell people how your relationship with Phil started. Well, I used to hang out with um, 
Stan Love. I hooked mm-hmm. up with Stan Love. Remember him? Yes. And, and and he was coming into the garden, and I lived in New York at the time. And he said he had been invited to a party at Phil Jackson's place, which was a loft on West 19th Street, which is over uh, a car repair uh place so i went there <laughs> stand split hung out had a great time and i was doing a story i think for sport magazine on like the uh the, the hippie guys or something in the nba i did stan and billy pauls and i asked phil if uh he re- willing to be interviewed so he said yes so the day that i was supposed to come down there and interview him my ex-wife shows up in New York, <laughs> and she's, like, writing poetry, and she's all excited. She's going to get her poetry published, and I had to kind of uh, babysit her, so she had to come down there to Phil's place, and I was, like, really embarrassing, but Phil's uh, future wife, June, just mm-hmm. took care of her, and I did the interview. And after the season, Phil had this pickup game with a whole bunch of his friends at the uh, the UN's gym, someplace in the fifties. Uh, the, the, the United East Nations, the United Nations gym. Yes, That's and um, they needed a big guy for Phil to beat up. So I'm <laughs> six eight, and I was chosen, and that was the uh, the beginning of it. A, a, a long relationship. Yeah, uh, that that's that's great. Um, I I have a friend. Uh, I don't know if you know him. He works for the Wizards. Dolph. Um, uh, uh, Dolph's been around forever, and he's he's one of these guys that he he remembers Phil from the old days back in the '60s. This apartment, like they would basically roll up the rug. They, you know, the, the joints would start going, passing around. The music would be going. This was a full-on party. Well, there were no drugs in that party that I went to. But there was a uh, a picture of Agnew. Remember Agnew, the vice president? Yeah, Spiro and Agnew. Darts. Right, and darts. And people would throw darts at the... Uh, <laughs> at Nixon's VP? <laughs> yeah. I love what it. Impressed, what impressed me about Phil was he was... I had done many, many stories on NBA stars, and there was always that NBA attitude. Uh, but he was like a regular guy, and his uh, friends, the people there, were like regular people. And that was um, a really uh, unusual and very interesting uh, to me. Yeah. I love that Stan Love, the father of Kevin Love, actually got you guys uh, – introduced in a weird way uh you right. you played college ball tell people you pl- tell people where you played i played at hunter college which is now lehman college in the bronx and yeah. i had a pretty good career yeah, uh the i mean what i from what i remember even back in the day in the, in the 90s you were still playing pickup ball Oh, I played pickup ball till I was uh, in my mid-50s. I played in prisons. Uh, I played in the World Senior Games when I was like 53 or something. Um, yeah, I had a hip replacement, and that was at the end. Actually, the day I stopped, 
think I was 55, and I was playing at the Y pickup game at the Y in Kingston, New York, which is uh, around here. And there was a loose ball. There was this young guy, 6'4", maybe 220, 230, and the two of us were going after the ball. And I he went to one of my old tricks. I hit him in the chest with an elbow to slow him up. And it just bounced right off of him. And the next morning, my elbow like swelled up. And I said, that's the end. It, it, we, I think we all had those moments. Um, I, I'm, I'm about, mine is mine or my knees. Uh, anybody who's an uh, old pickup player, you, you want, once once one part of your body goes, and you know, as, as anybody, it doesn't matter whether you get on a treadmill, you walk five times a day, there's nothing like pickup basketball. I mean, there's Bill Bradley's uh, quote about it, I thought said the best. He goes, I can, I can play three on three with a guy uh, for 10 minutes, and I could tell you more about him as a person and who he is uh, more than I could sitting next to him in a cubicle for a year at work. And, um, and absolutely. And when I was coaching, it was the same thing. You watch a guy play, you could tell who he is. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, Bill yeah. Bradley once hit me in the back with a pass at the 92nd Street Y. <laughs> That's one of my claims to fame. But, uh, so one of the reasons I brought you on as well, not only do you have these uh, old great stories and you, you know, the ESPN is, is um, moving up the release of the last dance. It chronicles the final season of the bulls dynasty, uh, plenty of drama. And um, I, you know, I, I look back on it and I, I covered it for the New York times and I covered it and I was, and I was part of a lot of it, but you know, you don't, you don't see all the stuff behind the scenes. Michael Jordan says people aren't he's worried people aren't going to think he was a great teammate when when everybody watches this because it's pretty unfiltered. You knew all these stories about Michael and he was, you know, it, it's sort of like ends just, you know, the the means justify the end. They won a championship. When when you're punching her in the face and you're winning titles, you you know, you're you're just a competitor. When you're when you're 38 and 45 with the Wizards at the end of your career and, and, and you're yeah you know and you're telling Kwame Brown he's the worst piece of turd you ever seen play then you you're just an old uh, uh, an old guy that doesn't get it and doesn't know how to nurture young players I I'm of the opinion that Michael you know anybody could get away with whatever Michael did as a competitor or whatever because he won games and he won and he did it the way Michael does it with your thoughts well uh, guys on the team were afraid of Michael because if they made a mistake, he'd be screaming at him and yelling at him. And mm. Pippen was the guy they would go to to kind of uh, calm them down and talk some sense into him. Um, but I witnessed the best shot that anybody ever made, the best shot in the history of basketball. It was done by Michael Jordan. It was I forgot the year. I was coaching the Rockford Lightning in the CBA which is like 70 miles from Chicago. So I had dibs on all the guys that the Bulls drafted and didn't make the team. And I think there were five or six or seven draft choices back in the day. So it's the first day of practice and it's a closed gym, but I was in there because of my, and Phil was an assistant, my affiliation with Phil and with the lightning. So they're scrimmaging, and it's the first day, and the rookies are going crazy. 
diving all over the place, and and the veterans are, are running wide circles around the rookies. They don't want to get involved in anything. So Michael steals the ball, and he comes running down ahead of the court, and there's a guy named Matt Brust from St. John's, who was the fifth-round draft choice of the Bulls. Oh, six, four, six, five, white guy, big shoulders, good three-point uh, shooter, had reputation as being a tough, 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 tough guy. So Michael dribbles down, goes up for the layup, Brust smashes him from behind, knocks him on the floor. And it's like, uh-oh, Jerry Krause dropped his donut. That's how uh, serious it looked. <laughs> so... <laughs> Jerry dropped his donut. That's like Warren Buffett dropping his wallet. <laughs> right. So Michael gets up. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. So they keep on playing. Several minutes later, Michael steals the ball again. And here he comes ahead of the field, and here comes Brust. But this time he knows Brust is coming. So you got to picture this. Michael takes off. Palming the ball in his right hand on the right side of the basket. He goes up. He's in the air. Here comes Brust with his left arm. Michael smashes Brust in the face with his elbow. He's still up in the air. Switches the ball to his left hand. His left hand goes underneath and around the basket and dunks. Oh. The oh. best shot I have ever, ever, ever seen. Michael was such a competitor, and the reason, one of the reasons why he got along so well with Phil, number one, Phil wasn't um, intimidated by superstars. You know, he played with um, Clyde and the captain well, and everybody. Right when the Knicks really put the NBA on the national. Uh, map as far as uh, you know, sports was concerned when they won those championships. And the other reason is that the two of them, Phil and Michael, were the fiercest, fiercest competitors in the whole Bulls organization. I mean, I've played literally played tiddlywinks with Phil just for laughs, and he freaked out when he lost. He was just in anything. And so that's why that's why they got along. I remember one one incident. Uh, again, it was close to the media. It was a practice, and the Bulls are scrim scrimmaging, and it's Pippen's team against Michael's team, and they're playing like it's the seventh game of the of the uh, championship, right? That's and it great. comes down to, and Pippen's team wins basket game over, celebrating. Michael comes. Stormy left the court. He's like, you know, boiling. That's when they let the media in. And the media were all smiles. Hey, Michael, what's it? And he starts screaming and cursing at them. At the media. Off. At the media. That's great. And they had no idea what was going on. He lost a practice game. And among the many reasons why um, uh, Collins, uh, Collins got fired was that Michael used to ruin all the drills. Whatever drill you ran, he'd just uh, overpower whatever was going on. 
And in order to make the scrimmages competitive, Collins used to cheat on the score. So oh, Michael's wow. team wouldn't would be that far ahead. That was one thing that uh, Michael just could not uh, deal with. Charlie Rosen is uh, now 79 years old. He's done it and seen it all. And he's giving us some great insight into the Bulls organization that he knew through Phil Jackson and his own observations. I still remember Jerry Sloan, uh, Charlie, telling me once it was after the first Bulls championship over, uh, over the Jazz. He said, you know, when I know when Michael was the most son of a bitch, uh, I'll, I'll beat your ass competitor I'd ever seen. And I go, no, when? And he goes, didn't have anything to do with the steal, the shot, all that, any, anything you've done. He had gotten stripped on one end by John Stockton, uh, went to the ground. Stockton go, went all the way back the other end, uh, and, and, and he basically got up and caught him and somehow raced down the court <laughs> to, to swat the shot away. And he said, never seen a guy who wanted to win as much as I did until that moment. And, um, and I think it says – you know, it's, he was the ultimate competitor. We saw it come out in his Hall of Fame speech, whether you liked it or didn't like it. That's who he was. Uh, and I love the I, I love the contrast to Phil because people people remember people think of Phil as sort of uh, not the anti Pat Riley, but the sort of the, um, the 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 you know if Riley was refined and understood the um, uh, understood the uh, the things that could be gained from a, a Sundance or a sweat lodge or a, a a sage smudging all these things that Phil learned and and incorporated into his coaching at his heart he was still he, he was still he was gonna get he, he wanted to get your ass <laughs> you know we played when I was his assistant for three years we travel around the league and do this and play one-on-one all the time, full court, but it had to be a small court. And, uh, you know, I was six, eight. I used to, I, I, in college, I could catch and shoot, but the only time I could put the ball on the floor with any uh, success was with my back to the basket. So we played full court. If he guarded me full court, he'd just take the ball away from me. But we play and we play and we play and we must have played over the three years, 150 games. And I beat him once. Wow. Hitting shots and hitting shots. You, you, you guys were going hard. He was not. Oh, he, going hard. Yeah. Uh, but he, he let me do things on defense. He kind of let me bring the ball mm. up. And he, some of the times he let me go left, uh, which I wasn't very good at. So I'm ahead by a point. You have to win by two, right? Mm. And, he, and he comes dribbling down the court, and I know he's going to score. And if he scores, he's going to win because he's going to full court press me, and that'll be the end. So he's dribbling down. He's near the sideline, and bam, I hit him with a, a, a block like a, like a middle linebacker. You smash him to the floor. Grab the ball, dribble down, score. I win. He said, you fouled me. I said, of course I fouled you. How else am I going to beat you? He said, did you, did, you, did you ever lose a game in the NBA where a foul wasn't called? And, he, and we were like buddies. You know, we used to room together on the road. We just, yeah. He stalked off. He went to a private gym. And he meditated for about an hour and wouldn't speak to me. 
<laughs> what, so my record against him was like, you know, one and 149. I love, uh, that's, that's great. When was the last time you spoke to Phil? Spoke to him? Well, we, uh, we emailed, you know, okay. uh, probably the last time I spoke to him when he was in uh, New York. Yeah, I mean, that, you, you, when, was it, when was the last time you emailed? Oh, a week, two weeks ago, maybe yeah. he's in Montana now. He said he, he came, he got off the plane, and there were uh, state troopers there. And they escorted everybody, and they, he had to be quarantined. At his because place, of the COVID? Uh, because he traveled? Because of the COVID, yes, he had to travel. Where, where did he come uh, from? Where was he? L.A. He had to get out of L.A. Uh, is he still seeing Jeannie? Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. That's no. been over for a while. Oh, it's been over for a long time. Yeah. Yes. No, the reason I ask is because Jeannie's been texting me, wants to get something going, and I refuse to. I'm married. I'm happy. And, you know, I just don't, I don't want to go there, Charlie. I do not yeah. need to get involved with an NBA owner right now in my life. Right. She, she, <laughs> and then my alarm rang. Yeah, okay. She, she was one of the many people, including me, who told Phil, don't go back to New York. Oh, she did. She told him not to go back to New York. Yeah, so this is one of my things. I like, you know, I, I, I haven't talked to Phil in forever. And even when, when I, I think, I think he liked me more when I was with the New York times, because I, I could give him a better, a, a more high publicized forum, but I mm -hmm. always had a great relationship with him. And he always, he was always honest with me. If he didn't want to tell me something, he said, I can't tell you that, but he, but I, I really wanted him to see him do well in New York. And, you know, was he going to win, the, get them to a title? No, but I, I look at, I, I still look at the Knicks as, it's almost like, you know, I, I call it the Washington football team here in D.C. I, it's like uh, the Knicks are the reverse car wash. You go in clean and you leave filthy. And it's because of yeah. Dolan. And I don't, you know, yeah, but, well, but, I yeah. want, but I want to know your feelings because you remember those great Knicks teams. You remember those Knicks days. It must have bugged you to your core how Phil went from this possible savior to this guy that uh, – you know, he didn't know what he was doing in New York, who, whom he was portrayed as. Well, he knew what he was doing. They kind of stabbed him in the back. A lot of people at like Miller, they just stabbed him in the back. Um, yeah. So He got I his, mean, by the way. Yeah. Yes, he did. So, I mean, take Porzingis. Okay, he drafted Porzingis. Um, uh, Gaines, Clarence Gaines, Little House uh, said, you know, draft. We drafted him, and it's amazing potential there. But then Phil saw the way the league played him. Przingis had no lower body strength. His footwork was not good at all. His balance was bad. And uh, the second time around the league, everybody started putting shorter, everybody shorter, stronger guys to guard him when he posted up because their center of gravity was lower so they could push him and push him, which put a lot of strain on his legs and his lower back. And Phil wanted to trade him, right, after that first year, second year. He would have gotten a load back. He would have gotten starters. He would have gotten uh, everything mm -hmm. back. And they just said, no, 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 you can't. He's the franchise. He's the franchise. So then they traded him for nothing. You know, it's oh. uh, but the other thing, the other thing that worked against him, one of the reasons 
that Phil uh, re-signed Carmelo Anthony as Dolan really wanted him. But also, uh, if they would have played the triangle, uh, Carmelo would have gotten the ball on the weak side elbow. Uh, a guard would have then cut to the basket, and he and he would have been like 16, 17-foot jump shot, one or two dribbles from the basket. The defense would be too far away to come double him. He would have been a monster. But in order to get there, he had to catch the ball and pass it and make a cut and do this and that, which Melo didn't want to do. He wanted to catch the ball and shoot it. So well, that's what I, I was that's what I was going to say. Could players with lesser hoop IQs handle the triangle? Oh yeah, you know. So and and I think it was Carmelo who ruined Porzingis. Porzingis came out in the media and said, mm. "Oh, I love the triangle." And Melo told him, "Don't you ever say anything positive about the triangle in the media again?" Did he really? And oh yeah, and he kind of ruined he kind of ruined the kid where. Um, did did, did Phil point, find out? Did Phil find out about that? That he told him? Oh that? yeah, you know, yeah. you know, what can you do? You can't go into the locker room. Yeah, and and you know, you you're you're an outsider. Yeah, at that point, you know, you're you're an outsider, and it got to the point when Porzingis was a rookie, he was kind of humble and learning and figured things out. I had a couple of conversations with him. He was, you know, open and uh, this and that. But by the time Mello got a hold of him, he used he cursed once uh, 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 Jeff Hordasek, who's a nice guy, who's too nice. That was his problem. He was uh, too soft with these players. He was a little too intimidated by uh, coming to New York and coaching these guys. But he he cursed uh, he cursed out Hordasek. Which is something you don't do. The guy had been in the league for a million years. He'd been mm-hmm. an all-star. You know, you show the guy some respect. So, uh, you know, that's what happened. And I'm sure wow. Isaiah was, was still buzzing in Dolan's ear. You think so? He, he still had his ear and he was sort of like, what are you doing? And uh, I don't know, the whole thing, um, yeah, the, the whole thing left a sour taste on my mouth. Do you, you think Phil will ever come back to the game in any way? No, no, no. That's it. He's done. Uh, he's done. Um, yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, people think that I just parrot Phil so what he believes. Yeah. That's not the case. It it so happens on a lot of areas we both think the same way. We've had a lot of disagreements on players, um, you know, guys I thought he should have, even in the CBA, sign this guy and not that guy and do this and not that. Uh, but um, I have a negative view of the NBA these days, and Phil is kind of tending uh, toward that. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, you remember the old game, and th- this new game is like a made-for-TV spectacle. Yeah, I, you know, it's fun. I, I really enjoy watching, like, Steph Curry and a team like that, and and I think he's, in some ways, because he shoots from the parking lot, and he's so good that – Everybody wants to do that now. It's depressing to me that, I don't know, being, well, I'm only 6'5", but growing up in Hawaii, I was sort of a big guy. You know, I was like seven foot in Hawaii. And so 
and then, yeah. you know, a high school player. And then, and uh, I didn't even, when I got to college, I could barely handle the ball because they want me to be a center, but I love the inside outside game. And I love the, right. you know, the triangle. I love, I love moving the, the sublime choreography of teamwork that was basketball is, is turned into, you're right, a video game in some ways. And there's a few teams that pass well and do all the right things. And then others try to do it, and it just—it's a mess. It's—it's—it's it's, it's the Houston Rockets most nights. Right, right. And I would love to see how Curry would have done with uh, Scotty Pippen's elbow in his chest all the time. Well, okay, I—I'm <laughs> with you on that. No, I know what you're saying. Anymore. Like, guys, no, you right. The physical nature of the games. I mean. Hands and, off, know, hands off defense. Oh yeah, no, no, you're right. It's, uh, it's you know, it, what did Chick Hearn used to say? No, fu- no harm, no foul, no ambulance. Oh yeah, there's a harm if you <laughs> if you breathe on a guy now. Right. <laughs> but but you're right. Have- no, it's, it's a different game. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a game that yeah, it's uh, that look they want to maximize scoring, they want to maximize their offensive weapons. I get it, but you're right. You don't have the hard fouls anymore. You know the. You know, there, there's no message sending anymore. It's just sort of uh, how, how can you hold the guy down from 50? Does um, uh, Phil, um, he's in Montana. Does he have any plans? What's, I mean, does he have any plans to do anything? You want to collaborate with one more book with him, maybe? Well, we talked about it, but uh, I don't think he uh, he wants to talk. Because then he has to talk about the Knicks and everything. I don't think he wants to go uh, public right. with uh, – with a lot of that stuff. I think he should. Well, you know, like what, what, what's wrong with it? I mean, well, I guess he would look as a sour grapes kind of guy. He got his money and he's just trash. But I don't think, I mean, bottom line is, you know, it's the common denominator, you know, James Dolan's the common denominator, whatever toxic top-down culture started there. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's affected a lot of people negatively and he happens to be the common denominator, not Phil. And so that would be my thing. And I, I think that, you know, shoot, anybody that wants to see that franchise win something big again uh, would would actually probably like the, the transparency and the honesty. But I get it. Phil doesn't want to Phil doesn't want to come across as sour grapes. Um, and right. shoot, he's in Montana. You got you got to get me to his Montana place to go fishing. I love I love trout fishing. Oh, what a place! It's amazing. Uh, he's got he's got thirteen grandchildren and five children. So uh, he's got it's it's like an estate, uh, and it's right on the right on this big huge lake. Um, and he's got enough uh, houses there for everybody. Oh. And it's amazing. There are eagles flying all over the place. It's so beautiful. It is such a, a, an amazing, an amazing, an amazing place. Yeah, maybe I need to do one of those sport magazine stories, but like for a magazine that still exists now. Okay. Sir, does Phil think Michael's hiatus ever had anything to do with gambling? Uh, I mean, he gambled and he lost a lot of money and he paid a lot of money. Yeah. You know, I think that thing about, you know, killing his father and something, that was nonsense. No, I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe it. And, you know, he gambled late and then he came and played. It didn't matter. He'd, uh, he was so He was a special individual. Yeah. He come off his deathbed, you know, and, and still, uh, and still play hard. Yeah. Yeah, he. Um, I always wondered if that got them into trouble. But either way, uh, he came back. You know, if 
if Krause hadn't said that Phil was gone after 98, and that, that was obviously the last dance of the Bulls, would, would Michael have stayed on and kept playing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And really? They at least, oh, of course. They would have won at least two more championships. Really? So you think so? So so you think Michael got out uh, because Phil essentially was you know persona non grata at that point with Jerry, and they were gonna Reinsdorf was all behind you know moving on, and didn't want to play. Right. Like, that's crazy. So they they could have won at least a couple more. You're right. Oh, absolutely. You know, and Phil he deserves more credit than he gets. When he was the an assistant, he was behind trading. Um, Cartwright for uh, Oakley, and yeah. uh, and here's the reason why: the two of us, uh, when we were uh, with the Patroons, uh, the uh, we had this you know, a relationship with the Knicks. You know, we get the extra players, so we go down to uh, I think they were at Hofstra, uh, and the, it's their first practice session. Ubi Brown was the coach, and. Um, you if you are in the painted area and you want the ball and you can't get it, you are fucked. Oh, I, I love Puby. I think he's the best. Yeah, oh, I got Ubi stories too, but that takes too long. So uh, <laughs> we're down there and Ewing is a rookie. Carwright said Ewing is going to take his job, right? So the scrimmaging, yep. they scrimmage for about a half an hour, at least 10, 12 times, Carwright knocked Ewing on his ass. Wow. Bang. Take that, rookie. Bang. Take that. Bang. And you could see Ewing was intimidated. And it's like if you put a uh, yellow ribbon around a, a, a baby elephant's nose and you do things, he grows up, you know, still the same fears and the same reactions. So Phil knew that Cartwright could control Ewing. And he was the the one behind the trade. And Oakley, yeah, yeah, Oak, Oakley was great. Oakley was great, but he wouldn't hit a shot for you in the last five minutes of a game. Yeah, I love Charles Oakley. I'll defend him too, but more along the lines of he was a great role player. And you're probably right. He should probably shouldn't have been taking the shot in the last five minutes of a game. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Uh, he was the he but was there's the guy a reason. That... There's a reason why he took the shot because they let him take it. Yeah, the right. right. You know, Charles and Michael, Char Charles Oakley and Michael were close too. I think that uh, you know he, uh, yeah. Um, but well, well, Cartwright did something else. Cartwright did something else. Michael wouldn't pass Cartwright the ball. Because Cartwright wasn't a great passer. And, you know, uh, sometime in his career, uh, Cartwright got hit in the larynx. And he kind of talked like this. You know, he had this high-pitched voice. And there's this guy, you know, 6'10", what did he weigh? Two talking like Yeah, it's huge. So he was a really sweet guy. So Michael wouldn't pass him the ball. And at one point, Cartwright went over to him and says, if you don't pass me the ball, I'm going to just kick your ass. Period. And that was it. And that's Michael exactly started passing in the ball. Ride, That's a very good car ride. I, I worked in Sacramento for many years. He's from Elk Grove High School. That's a great car ride. Oh, he's he's a great he's a yeah. great guy. And the the um, uh, the triangle op, uh, offense operated a little more efficiently then. Right. Yeah. Uh, I 
I look back on all this and I, I look, you know, I remember Michael said he'd never play for another coach. Of course he did with Doug Collins in Washington. Right. And uh, I, I always wonder if he, you know, did he think people would forget what he said? But I also think Michael was, you know, he wanted to scratch that itch again. I don't. That's uh, it. Exactly. Exactly. And he didn't really, um, I you know, like, like look back at Rodman too, you know, in some, some ways I feel sorry for him because he's just such a, could tell he's hurting inside for by a lot of things, but you know, he was, he was just a handful. But the one thing I look about Phil, you know, is. Well, I got um, a Rodman story. I got a Rodman story. Oh, you got to go for it. Go for it. I love, you know, I, I okay. love Rodman. He's just a I character. love Rodman. We were, we were, we were going to do a book together. Uh, he's, he's he intelligent. And he did many books. That was the problem. There were too many books. And no, no publishers were interested in But he yeah. had all kinds of stuff to say about North Korea, you know, and this and that. Right, right. So this is, this is after his career, Rodman's career. Okay. Uh, in the NBA. And occasionally he'd do a guest appearance at an a- old ABA game or a CBA game and, you know, get a lot of money and attract fans and things like that. So I think it was the CBA. He comes into the game, and Scotty Wedman was coaching uh, the other team. Uh, I did a lot of uh, uh, clinics with uh, with Scotty. So uh, he comes into the game, the Rodman, he's on defense. And the guy he's guarding goes into the low post. And they're kind of jockeying for position. The guy doesn't have the ball yet. All of a sudden, the offensive guy, the pivot guy, the Rodman is guarding – does like a 10-foot broad jump. So they come into the huddle, and Scotty says, what What the hell was that? What was that? The guy said, Rodman stuck a finger up my butt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> It's called it's called down and dirty defense, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, you got to finish the story about Bill threatening to kick his ass. Did I? Did we already do that? The Phil. Yeah. Oh, Bill. No, yeah. no, it's Bill who said that, not Phil. No. That's what I said. Phil, uh, MJ's yeah, Bill was going to kick was MJ's it. ass. And then MJ backed off and wow. started passing him the ball. That's great. You know, Carroy was the kind of guy, if you walked down the street next to him, you had to be about two feet away because his elbows would be flying all over the place. And he'd just knock you down. That's just the way he walked, you know. But <laughs> right. such, a, such a nice guy. Such a wonderful guy. Um, the last couple, uh, I, I still look at – I one of the things I think of as a great coach, great teammate, what a great player is, um, I call it the knucklehead quotient. If you can, if you're, if you're really a great coach, um, you can get people that are con- perceived malcontents, and and get them into buying in, or at least, you know, whether they're on the bench or a role player like Rodman, you know, I look at all the guys that people, uh, you know, they just gave them fits everywhere they went, and yet like a guy like you know people don't remember Isaiah Ryder, J.R. Ryder got a freaking ring with the Lakers. Um, you know, Meta World Peace got a ring on a Phil team. Um, uh, Ron Artest, when he was Ron Artest, he was, you know, he he was unreliable. He you never knew what he was going to do. Um, Dennis Rodman, 
I mean, Bison Daly, the late Bison Daly, Brian Williams, yeah. got a ring with yeah. Phil Jackson. I look at the, I look a lot of that. I look at a lot of that ability to get those kind of players to conform to your system, or you know, at least um, within within their own individual means. I think a lot of that is Phil. I think basically it's a lot of who you and Phil were growing up as these really accepting guys out of the 60s and 70s that weren't from the hard-ass school of the Krzyzewskis and the Bobby Knights. It's like, yeah, there's some players you could put up against a locker, and that's what they need. you needed to do. But there were other guys that you, you didn't need to kick them in the ass like that. You needed to motivate them other ways. You needed to give them books. You needed to give them, you know. Well, I, look, I think that's one of the great testaments to his coaching. Well, you know, Rodman – Learned the triangle about three days. And it took guys like Peyton uh, and Malone, who never learned it, who didn't want to learn it. So yeah. Rodman just just slid right in. Our test, the first year our test was there, he bought into the triangle and really worked it. But then after that, the year after that, he said, okay, I got my ring. Now I can go back and do what I want. And that was one of the reasons why that team broke up. Oh, interesting. Why that, why that team wasn't, uh, wasn't successful. The, the last dance coming up, by the way, um, I, I, uh, I'm sure that, you know, you were part of that season as well. I look back at just the start of things. Um, when, you know, you're telling me all this stuff about how your relationship started with Phil what did you take from, you know, when you, you were his assistant with the Albany Patroons, when he was developing his coaching philosophy back in that day, what were some of his principles? And obviously he took them, he took them to the next level. Well, he was looking for an offense. We used the flex in those days, which gets everybody involved and everybody has to do everything. But there are only two points of, uh, of initiation. So, uh, you know, you could kind of stop it. So he's looking for that, but he, um, that was the old Bobby Knight offense with Indiana in the old days. No, 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 no. That was uh, USC when Tex was there, when Bill Sharman was there. It has a long history. It's nothing to do yeah, with but Bobby the, but Knight. The, but Indiana, the, that 76 team played the flex. Did he no, just steal it from No, them? they didn't. No, they, they did what did. they play. I, I don't remember. I could tell you, you a story. You don't about know anything. You don't know anything, Charlie. You're only 79. Damn it. Go ahead. I tell you a story about me and Phil and Bobby Knight. No, go. Yeah, go ahead. I love all these digressions. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're both in Albany and Bobby Knight is doing some kind of clinic, uh, maybe down in Poughkeepsie. I don't remember. So we were interested to find out some of Bobby Knight's, um, game plan like his press or something like that okay so we go down to uh Poughkeepsie and we're in a, it's in a gym and there are a whole bunch of guys there assistant coaches you know wearing the knit shirts with the emblem of their uh their school and and Bobby Knight gets up there and he starts talking about drugs and if it was up to him he'd He'd bomb the fields, the drug fields in Columbia, and make the whole country a parking lot, and this and that, and the other thing. And he didn't say anything about basketball. And, and the whole so time we're sitting you got there, to go- sitting there, we have notebooks, there's nothing. So we break for lunch. So everybody leaves. 
and it's on a basketball court, right? And there's a basketball there. So we take our shirts off and play one-on-one during the lunch hour. You, Phil, and, and, Bobby, and Bobby Knight? Me and Phil. Me oh, and you Phil. Phil. Okay, okay. And nobody else is here. Bobby Knight comes walking back in. We put the ball down, put our shirts on, and walked out. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, he was, was, he was uh, a, Phil, Bobby Knight was the anti, I mean, shoot, he was the anti-Woodstock guy. He was the, uh, oh, were, you, were, you at, were you at Woodstock? No, 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 no. And you know what they say around Woodstock? They say if you say if you remember being at Woodstock, you weren't there. That's uh, true. Yeah, and it, because you were too stoned to remember you that stoned, you were yeah. there. What um what was the most serious drugs you took in the sixties? LSD. Uh oh yeah. What else? Uh, mushrooms. Um, yeah. you know. Smoked pot. Uh, I never did any, uh, you know, heroin, anything like that. But I did. Yeah. Uh, I did a lot of drugs. I taught it at a community college, um, and they were different days. I go to concerts, dead concerts, oh. with some of my students. They give me drugs. Uh, I never fooled around with them, but uh, you know, as yeah. far as anything else. But that was what you did in those days. It was like a strike against the empire to do yeah. that kind of stuff. How, what are the um, what are the most serious drugs you've done with Phil? I, you know, we smoke pot once or twice. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's. I it. wanted. And I wanted some. It. I wanted some big acid trip story. No, no. Well, there's an acid trip that he took that we write about in the first book we did, Maverick. He's on a Ooh. beach in L.A. and he took acid, and he felt like a lion. And he was kind of roaring up and down the beach. Um, and Je- and this is when he was an assistant with the Bulls. I don't remember when the book came out. And Jerry Krause was so freaked out that he bought up as many of the copies of that book as possible. So no one else could read it. <laughs> so when no one else could see it. Uh, let's, uh, let's really quick, uh, let's go back to the Bulls. I think that Krause, and, uh, you, know, I, you know, I was trying to be congenial with everyone at the time. And, and in some ways, you know, they used to call him Crumbs. That was their nickname for him because he was, uh, you know, he was a little obese and he was an old time baseball scout in the Bill Vec days. I kind of like I know he was the anti uh, uh, Phil type of guy, but but it seemed like that worked for a long time. He was a polarizing figure. You know, the, the players in Phil all seemingly loathed him. Was was the mutual dislike of Kraus something that united the players in Phil looking back? Ah, you you know, I think so. Sometimes he used to go on a plane with them, and they they just would insult him and curse him, and he kind of uh, stopped. uh, He stopped doing that. He had no people. uh, He couldn't relate to people. Um, I mean, I had some dealings with him. I was in the middle of the Bulls uh, when they signed Cliff Levingston. I was uh, coaching in Savannah, and I was in between uh, Kraus says this, which I would then tell uh, Livingston's agent and that kind of stuff. I had some dealings with him. Um, I mean, I, I have another story. I don't know how much time you have. No, I like for you, just keep going. I love this stuff. Uh, okay, so Phil, uh, when I was coaching in Rockford and they fired Johnny Bach, which is a whole other story. 
Uh, it appeared, uh, an item appeared in the Chicago Tribune is in the middle of the season that I was going to trade, uh, it replaced Johnny Buck. Now, Phil and I always had the understanding once he got to be the head coach. Yes, I know he could do what he wants. I didn't expect to be called up or anything like that. Although he did try to bring me up as an assistant with the Bulls, but Kraus said no. Kraus wanted all the assistants to be beholden to Kraus. So when was that? When was that? Oh, in the late 80s, maybe. Yeah. Something okay. like that. And Phil, in a lot of ways, doesn't um, like confrontations. Okay. So Klaus called me up and said, and this is the guy that Phil and I used to belittle and, you know, along with yeah. a lot of other people. And Klaus says, uh, Charlie, we can't hire you as a, an assistant coach. We have to hire an NBA veteran, somebody who played in the NBA, that's the only uh, kind of assistant coach that the players will uh, respect. Okay, fine. You know, I could deal with it. But what pissed me off, and then they hired Jimmy Rogers, who's a great assistant and a wonderful man. I did a profile on him. Just and was an assistant coach with Phil was in college uh, to Bill Fitch. But, you, you know, uh, one of the best assistant coaches ever. Okay, so that was a little bit of a lie, but I understand it. But what pissed me off is that Phil didn't call and tell me. Uh, he had crowds tell me. So, uh, so, so Phil, I, Phil didn't want to deal. Phil didn't want to deal with pissing off his good friend, and he had crowds right. do it instead. Instead of dealing with uh, dealing with conflict right up front, we didn't speak to each other for about two years, maybe, until uh, a player who was Phil's roommate with the Knicks for two years was a buddy of mine, Eddie Mast used to come to games when we played Lancaster. He lived in Easton, PA. He used to come and hang around with us, uh, you know, as long as we were there. We did clinics with Eddie. I traveled with Eddie to do clinics in Boston. I'd visit with him. He'd come up in Woodstock and spend a week. We were like the three musketeers for several years. And so Eddie died. So at the funeral, that's the first time we hadn't spoken to each other, and we were both pallbearers. And we kind of looked at each other, and there's Eddie in the coffin, and we said, okay, enough of this. And we renewed our friendship, I think, on a deeper level. Oh, that's uh, – you, you finally put uh, your your bothers – you know, your what what bothered you aside, and he put what uh, – he, he, well, yeah, that's funny you say that about Phil because in our – I've never had that kind of relationship with him, but – there's been times when I've written things and all of a sudden he just changes, you know, and it's sort of like, well, well, Phil, I had to be critical here. And, um, but that's just who he is, you know, that's, uh, and, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because he's had that with his players too. You know, Kobe doesn't really find out how Phil feels about him until he writes a book about him. And even though he tells him, um, I, I always wonder Michael Phil relationship, obviously they, they bonded over the competitiveness you know, I always wonder if, if Phil, like those two years, I mean, you, they could have won those years. I, I still don't. This is just me. I still don't believe Michael Jordan just left basketball because he wanted to spend more time and play baseball with his family. I still I just don't, I'm not going to believe it. I'm sorry. 
Well, this is what I think really happened, okay? Yeah. Krause was a big fan of uh, Cool Coach. Yep. And he'd go in disguise in, in Europe and watch him play and said publicly that uh, he's better than Michael Jordan and they can win with Cool Coach. Um, and uh, I think Michael was really upset with that. And if you remember the first time Pippen and Jordan played Croatia in the uh, Olympics, they buried Cool Coach. They really went. Oh out of no! Way. They, they made it a personal. Made it a personal. A personal uh, thing. Yeah. They absolutely buried him. So that was okay. You think you can do it? Do it. And Michael, from what I heard, if he had progressed, he would have been a great defensive outfielder. He would have hit like 260, 265, hit 25 home runs. Well, that's a great – Here's a cool coach story. So they're playing Miami in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, Phil would show his uh, – his scouting movies, and he filled them with all kinds of crazy things to make them laugh. He uh, and he once had a picture of uh, oh, I always forget his name. He used to be the general manager of Utah, big heavy guy Frank uh, Frank uh, Layden. Frank, Frank Layden. So he, you know, they're doing this. You know, well, this is their offense, and all of a sudden, there's a 10 second clip of Frank Layden wearing a bikini bathing suit running down a beach. <laughs> Imagine what that looked like. So Players probably fell out. <laughs> fell out. Uh, yeah. That's one of the things about Phil. He'd do things yeah. that the players could never anticipate, so they always had to concentrate. You know, other guys, other coaches, blah, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. They heard it before. They kind of tune out. But Phil would always come up with something a little different. So he's showing the game. Um and uh, Chris Gatlin, remember Chris Gatlin? Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. rangy guy for the Warriors. He played it for a couple other teams. And he played uh, for Miami at this time. Miami, uh, right. right. Sprains his ankle. And the Bulls have the ball. And there's no timeout or something like that. And it's, oh, wow, okay. So, um, they spread the court, and Gatlin is guarding Kukoc. So they run like a 1-4. So they're one-on-one. -on -one. And Gatlin is literally hopping on one leg. So what does Kukoc do? He takes a three-point shot. Oh. So when it came time to show the film, uh, you know, the next day, he replays that one play five, six, seven, eight times. Gatlin hopping, Kukoc shooting the three point, and the filters to Kukoc and says, That's why Croatia never won a war. <laughs> I think we should both fly to Montana and just stay in a cottage. The put up for us. What the hell? On that, whatever that lake is, Canavas or whatever the heck. Uh, Flathead. Flathead. Flathead Lake. Flathead, Flathead lake. Yeah. Um, th this has been great, and and I, and I really mean it. I'd love to call you up again and just talk old Hubie Brown stories and things like that because you're you're a fountain of knowledge, and um, 
I think some people forget that sometimes, and I really appreciate you joining us today. Mike, it's my pleasure. Thank you for thinking of me. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you to Charlie Rose, and a basketball lifer, an author of 25 books, not 16, for sharing his stories and time with me today. We look forward to the next four Sunday nights with the next eight episodes of The Last Dance air on ESPN. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Ben Wolfen. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows, Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, which has a new show each Tuesday, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin with a new show every Wednesday, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt each Thursday, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman every Friday, and I'm back with the Mike Wise Show every Monday. Please keep all of the medical professionals and essential workers in your prayers as they lead the charge in the battle against the COVID-19 pandemic. Continue to keep your distance from others in public, wear your mask, wash your hands, treat everyone like a teammate because look, we're all in this together. Till next week, peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.